Hello, my name's Jane Dacre. Welcome to this Medical Women Talking podcast. Medical Women Talking is a series of recordings of informal interviews with a range of women doctors from different specialties and backgrounds who've had successful careers in medicine. I'm a proud physician and have had the privilege of a very fulfilling career. As I get older and have reflected on my own journey, I've become increasingly passionate about helping other women to achieve their potential in medicine. Combining life and a career can be challenging, and it sometimes feels extremely difficult to keep going. The women in these conversations have all found a way to thrive and have achieved great things. I hope that you'll be inspired by their stories. The podcasts are available to download in any order so that you can listen and be inspired whilst doing other things. Happy listening. Today, I'm talking to Professor Dame Carrie McEwen. Carrie has had an extraordinary career in medicine. She started life as an ophthalmologist and became the president of the College of Ophthalmology. From there, she went on to the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges as its chair and has become the second woman chair of the General Medical Council. That's a job she's currently in. Listen to what Carrie says, because Carrie has also got three children, and so she's combined a wealth of experience with a very full life. Listen and take note. When did you decide to become a doctor and why? I have always wanted to be a doctor as far back as I can remember. Um, it was always things I was doing, playing with, very traditionally, playing with dolls and trying to fix them um, and pottering around um, and trying to fix the dog. Um, I, my my father um, was medical, but he was from a very modest background and he recognised that medicine was a really a huge privilege for him, he was the first person to go to university in his generation, the only person in his generation to go to university. And he absolutely loved his job and he he loved helping people. And he really inspired me um, to, to see what a privilege it was and how wonderful it was to be able to help people. So, so how did you set about realising those aims? Well, I was at a school that wasn't necessarily hugely academically inclined, but I was very clear that um, I was going to choose the right subjects to get onto medicine, which rather tediously involved things like Latin in these days. Um, and uh, I, so I made sure that I was doing doing the right things. Um, and I worked um, as an auxiliary nurse, um, as they were, um, both before I went to university and actually during all my university holidays. Um, and that gave me a little bit of income, but also gave me insight into what it, what it was. And when I applied for University, I was able to give some of these um, insights as to what health care involved. So I was pretty sort of keen from, from, from very early on. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I worked hard at school and fortunately managed to come up with the grades. Um, but it was difficult, more difficult, I think, in some ways, but it was easier in others. Um, you, the, there were fewer women. Um, there was a cap in women going to medical school in these days. And um, so you had a smaller chance um, of getting in, but you didn't have to jump through all the different hoops. Um, I think that people do nowadays in order to fulfil their personal statement. Um, so it, it was slightly different, easier in many ways, but, but harder in others. Okay. And and so where did you where did you go to university and what was it like? 
<coughs> I went to uh, the University of Dundee Medical School. Nine Wells Hospital was a brand new uh, medical school and hospital uh, when I went to to a uh, university, and that was fantastic. I was really, really keen uh, to go somewhere um, that was um, that was innovative and different. Um, and we had a fantastic uh, medical education, Dundee frequently comes out uh, as up there for student experience, um, and it did in these days. And we had a very diverse group of students that came from all over the UK, um, and that in itself was actually quite insightful um, as to how, how how life was for very many different people. But uh, I had a fantastic undergraduate experience. I learned a lot and I enjoyed it. Um, so you said there was a, a quota. What was the quota of girls in your year? Do you remember? I think I think it was between 25 and 30 percent. And I went to university in 1975, which was the year of the, the Sex Discrimination Act. And so just after that, they had to change it. They couldn't discriminate against women following that. And so quite rapidly it went up. But uh, it had it had slowly crept up over the preceding years. And I think it was somewhere between 25 and 30 percent. Gosh, so it's changed a lot till now, hasn't it? Um, so... You then uh, you've become an ophthalmologist, a very eminent ophthalmologist. How how did that happen? Why did you choose that specialty? I always wanted to do surgery. I had a <clears throat> had a feeling that that's what I wanted to do as a, as a student. Um, and when I did house jobs, we did two six month house jobs in these days. Um, I much preferred um, surgery to to medicine. <clears throat> so what I did was I I sat my surgical primary, um, which was a generic primary, um, and at that point was trying to decide what I wanted to do. So I did an, uh, an accident and emergency job, which meant I saw a whole variety of different things coming in and interacted with, with everybody, medical, surgical, obstetrics, the whole works. Um, and at that point, I thought I really quite fancied uh, doing ophthalmology rather than one of the, the sort of the bigger surgical specialties at that time. And so I applied um, and I got in. And that was me really on the road to becoming an ophthalmologist. And and have, did you have highs and lows along that road? What were the good bits and what maybe could have been better? Well, it, it is interesting actually that that you you know you do have you do have highs and lows, but I'm, I think I'm quite good actually at, at trying to forget the lows and trying to to remember the highs. I mean, obviously, um, passing my um, fellowship exam was an enormous high in that that meant that I actually had a qualification on paper which couldn't be changed, and that meant that I didn't exactly have a passport to move on. But without that, I couldn't have I couldn't have gone any further. So to me, that that was an enormous uh, high in in my time. Um, one of the some some of the laws involved. Um, well, I, I I was bullied um, on, on by um, by one consultant, um, and that was a miserable experience. And I've got huge um, regard for people who are bullied, and I totally a hundred percent against any form of bullying. It undermines people, and it actually can almost destroy somebody who's confident and able to um, dig on. Um, and it really throws you, despite the fact you 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 think or you know you've got the skills and the talents, but they just constantly get whipped away from underneath you. So very bitter experience. So can you do you, do you mind just giving us the gist of of what of what happened, just in case it happens to other people who are listening to this and help them to to see their way through it? I think it's it's difficult. And I think, again, things have changed. I didn't really feel I could go to anybody because it was the, in the time when you didn't speak up. You just, especially as a woman in the surgical specialty, you just kept quiet and you kept your head down. Um, and I would recommend that people didn't do that. I recommend that people went and spoke to their 
um, educational supervisor or their postgraduate dean or whoever it was to to raise to raise flags. I mean, it is generally the thing is to try and try and see try and be realistic about it and thinking this is not actually genuinely the truth of what's going on i'm actually able to do what i'm supposed to do and this person is trying for some reason to to make it difficult and 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 undermine me um that's, that's hard though um and it's all very fine looking back now and saying that's what i should have done um obviously i spoke to um to the person who became my husband and and he was hugely hugely supportive but I think you don't, and I think you should get help from from friends, from from relatives, from family. Um, but really, I think you really do need to address it fully and speak up, and not not let it happen to you. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I think back on my career, and and I have to say, it's quite hard to make that diagnosis. Hang on a minute, I think I'm being bullied here. Yes, isn't it? Uh, particularly when you're trying to fit in, and you're you, you it makes you think you're doing a bad job, doesn't it? It does because you're you're keen, you're eager, you're you're learning, and it was exactly around the time that I was sitting my fellowship exam. So it's at a time in your life probably where you're about as gened up in all the information as you possibly can be because you've read all the books, you've done all the stuff, um, and I, that just kept being taken away from me. And I kept thinking, I'm sitting this exam, and I'm you know this person doesn't think I'm up to it, and I, it was it was actually it was difficult. But again, I had good, I had other good colleagues, especially of my peer group, uh, and they helped. And in fact, speaking to some of them was quite interesting because he'd bullied them as well um, in different ways, and that was quite helpful to know that I wasn't actually being singled out. Interesting, interesting. Well, let's move on to something a bit more positive. So, uh, what about the inspirations you've talked about? Your husband, your friends, your your family. Tell us who inspired you. Who did you think? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Yeah, it 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 is it is an interesting thing. Again, I always think about inspiring, um, because it, it it at the time I don't think you necessarily recognise you're being inspired by someone. I think it's often in retrospect that, that you see that, um, and it's, it's undoubtedly the case that my father was a fantastic inspiration to me. He was a man who I saw studying um, at his desk in early morning before he headed off and did full day's work and came back and was sitting exams and was absolutely passionate about what he did. It worked long hours. We used to, our holidays used to be him doing locums uh, in other places um, so that, because doctors weren't paid as well as particularly junior doctors in these days. And he had a small family, to, a family of young children to look after. So I was very much inspired by that, by that work ethic, by that, by the pleasure he got from the job. And he, he again was very realistic. You know, he said being a doctor um, as a woman has got huge challenges, and you know you have to look at these and address them. Having children and being a doctor in the seventies and eighties was really a very difficult thing. And most of the women who had been in his year, and there were very few of them, um, had actually given up medicine because they couldn't juggle both the things together. And I think that was very sad. But he felt that times were changing. So I was very, very much inspired um, by him. Uh, and I think that that went on. He he died just at the beginning of COVID. And I think that, um, I, you know, that's been a huge miss for me. Gosh, yes, it, 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 it's, it's sad, but he's leaving his legacy in you. Is that right? I'd like to think is. so. And my mum always says that he's looking down, and he he does see that. So it's all. I'm the only. I've, I've got three brothers, and I'm the only one in the family who did who did anything medical. Interesting, interesting. So, um, being an ophthalmologist was good. Clearly, it was something that you excelled at. But you moved into doing leadership roles. How how did that happen? What what was it that made the change? Well, first and foremost, I'm. 
absolutely primarily a clinician, um, and I was a full time uh, clinician um, until my until my mid fifties. So you know, so it, it was definitely something that I that I loved, um, but. Tied in with being a clinician are all the other roles that that, that you do. Um, for instance, I recognise the difficulties that that women were having, um, uh, progressing in their careers, and I became the a very early on um, less than full time um, associate dean. So that gave me an, another insight into to, to life and gave me an insight into the other aspects of other specialties as well and how difficult it was to, to make that work. Um, I was also very keen on um, medical education and assessment um, and I became involved in the college, uh, both training uh, and also um, assessment. I became senior examiner for the college and interestingly enough for sport and exercise medicine, the faculty of sport and exercise medicine as well, which was something that was always a passion of mine, uh, how medicine and sport fit, fit together. So I was I was do, doing all these things and um, with that in mind, um, I became vice president of the college um, and then I became senior vice president and then I was elected um, as president. And so that kind of was the, the way that my, um, my, my leadership role evolved and having become leader, um, a president and leader of the college, I recognised that there were things that I, I needed to do. I, I only had one opportunity to do it as I could see it and I had to get on with some of the things that, that were do. And, and I and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed interacting with people. I met the most inspirational group of fellow presidents. Um, and I know you're one of them, Jane, but that is, I mean, I'm sure that you'll feel the same, that we had a, we had a really a good group of people who were able to help one another. Um, and that demonstrated how valuable it was to be a leader and to be able to share and to be collaborative. So, um, yeah, so that was sort of really how I got into, into leadership roles. But it didn't just stop there, did it? Um... <laughs> No. <laughs> Next steps. Yeah. So um, having been college president, I was then going to go back um, to, to be a clinician again, uh, um, full time. Um, but then other things happened. One, um, we, ha we have a real shortage of paediatric ophthalmologists and, and oculomotility specialists, which is my, um, my area of specialism. And one of my um, fellows um, was ready to take a job and was going to go to one of the other um, areas in the country. And so I thought, I need, we need to keep her here and it's time for me to move on. So I decided at that point that I would, I would take early retirement, not that early, but a little bit early. Um, and, but I would carry on doing some work, um, but I was looking for something else. Um, and I was persuaded, and I was persuaded to apply for the the um, the, the role of, of a, a chair of the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges. Um, and, and quite honestly, you could have knocked me over with a feather when somebody phoned me and said, "Actually, you've just been elected chair of the Academy." Um, but that again took me on to another level um, of leadership, which was much more um, multi-disciplinary um, in the in, in its in its view um, about um, about about med about medicine. And it didn't stop there either. <laughs> no, no. Um, again, uh, so when I came to the end of that, that's when I was definitely going to give up. I was definitely going to retire at that stage. Um, but again, I was persuaded to uh, stand for a, um, a council role at the General Medical Council, somebody who had an interest in medical education, a an active clinician, in which I was, st I was still doing, I still, I still am doing clinical work, actually. Um, and so that, that was fine. Uh, being on the on the council of the General Medical Council was a, seemed attractive to me. It was, you know, one day a week, um, and so I stood. I, I applied for that. I, I was interviewed, and I and I, and I, I was appointed. But very, very sadly, um, 
six months after that appointment, the chair, um, Dame Claire Marks, um, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, and I was then approached by the council uh, to take over the interim chair post. So I um, I was very happy to do that because, well, one, I think that what I did not want to do was prolong any agony for Claire and make sure that she had a she could get leave us immediately and not have to worry about any any responsibilities there. Um, uh, and during that time, I became aware that the general medical uh, became much more involved with general medical council, obviously, and recognised that. This is an organisation that is is very constructive. It, it it's really keen to change, um, and it's got an excellent, highly skilled staff. Um, and therefore, I applied for the chair when that when that post came up and uh, was appointed. The GMC isn't everybody's favourite organisation. It must it must be quite uh, a bit of a, a bit of a change from um, an organisation that feels as if it's everybody's friend or organisations where you're helping colleagues to organisations that maybe don't have such a um, rosy uh, reputation amongst our colleagues. Does yeah. that, has that, what do you, what, what are your reflections on that? Well, being a regulator is not a job that's necessarily going to make you be loved by everyone because at the end of the day, um, regulation means that you have power um, and the, that power is it actually benefits the registrants because it means that only people who fulfil the appropriate criteria of education, training and qualifications are able to join the register. And if that wasn't the case, as doctors, we wouldn't like it very much. Um, we don't want people who don't have the right qualifications. Um, but it also means that um, that at both ends, that, that, that intermittently, people who are not able to either conduct themselves appropriately or have the appropriate skills um, may need to be um, removed from the register or have some sanctions placed against them. And that's to protect patients, the patient safety organisation, and to make sure that we're all working um, with, um, with the right colleagues. Now, that inevitably engenders some... Um, anxiety with people and that and in, in for some cases I recognize fear that is something that's interesting enough the people who work with the GMC closely um, think it's a good organization don't fear it and know that it works very well it's the further away you get from the organization uh, the more likely that anxiety becomes so what I want to do regarding that is to make the GMC first of all the best healthcare regulator that there is nationally um, and in the world. That's that's my my plan, um, and I think that everybody's on board for that to take it forward. And part of that is to make it into a really a much more um, compassionate organisation. Um, and um, we're already moving towards that by becoming an upstream regulator, making sure that we're working. With registrants to make sure not only do they have the that they are they are set for the job that they've got the right skills qualifications they feel confident to do the job but we're working with employers and trainers now to make sure that the environment in which they're working allows them to do that job fully and properly 
and with confidence and that they're allowed to progress as best they can um, and not be held up for unexpected reasons. And that includes our um, EDI policy. Um, and we've, we've been very, very clear about that, that that, that, that either from the point of view of racism or sexism or 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 um, disability, everybody should be allowed to move move on and not be held back in any way. But in addition, we're reviewing um, the, the, the way that we deliver um, our regulatory uh, um, actions, um, but we're slightly held back by the, the, the out-of-date Medical Act, which is 1983, and we're, we're, we're pushing for, for regulatory reform, which is coming through. Um, and as part of that, we are making sure that we are um, making sure that the, 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 any interactions we have with registrants and complainants um, are, are are improved so that people feel that they are being given um, support um, and they do not, they should not be fearing an organisation. What we don't want to do is compound harm. If somebody's referred to us, it's difficult. We don't want to make that any worse. Absolutely. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, work, work to do. Uh, but I'm sure I'm sure you will uh, you'll go for it with gusto, Carrie, like you have with uh, with the other jobs that you've had in your career. Can I just pivot a little bit and um, and say that you've also had three children. You have an active family life. H how did that all fit in? A, a lot of the younger women that we talk to are struggling at the moment with getting all of all of those pieces of the jigsaw to fit in. Um, so a little bit about that and then any advice you might have for them. Yeah, it's it's definitely a balancing act. Um, and um, I, I don't think there's a right way to do it. Um, I think everybody has to look at their own way of doing it. Um, and, and, and there really wasn't um, flexible training or less than full time training uh, in, in, in my day. And I waited till I became a consultant effectively to have my children. I, I, I had the first child sort of between senior registrar and consultant um, and I think it would have been very difficult for me to have been uh, any other way but that was a choice that I made based on the circumstance at the time and I really don't think people have to do that nowadays I think there's far more flexibility in the system and I wouldn't encourage anyone to wait do it at the right time that's right for you Having children, um, and when you've got three under the age of four um, and your husband is working in another city, because that's, again, how sometimes it works out. It, it really is um, quite difficult, and especially when you don't have any family nearby. So there was a few things that came in uh, to, to practice. Um, first of all, although my husband was working far away, he was highly, highly supportive. And we we managed to work our, our rotas some way that, that managed to, to get together. I was very dependent on support, and that involved, unfortunately, and I know that people are very aware of this, paying a lot of money out in order to make sure that you could continue to work. Um, and sometimes you really weren't working for very much money because you were, you were, what you were doing is you were investing in your children's future and you were investing in your own future. And you just had to look at it like that uh, for a few years. Um, being organised was absolutely um, you know, batch cooking at the weekends to make sure that everybody had good homemade meals during the week, but didn't get you know sort of chicken curry every night, whatever it was, um, and making sure that you you could foresee what was happening in the future, and that meant often working with friends who also had children, um, and arranging runs and making sure that people could be picked up, and and making sure that you you could you know foresee what might become a problem, um, and keeping very friendly with your neighbours and friends so that when disaster struck. You, you you could call them and, and ask for some help. 
but it, it, it's a it's a really really difficult thing um and i think that that investment in the future for you and your family is something you've got to keep your eye on because it's expensive um, and you sometimes feel you're you're doing it for nothing but you are you're doing it for your future fantastic well listen carrie we've taken uh, enough of your time you've given us some fantastic insights of a, of a long and very successful career. So thank you very much for, for talking to me today. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for listening. There are many more medical women talking in this series of podcasts. Please have a listen to some of the other inspiring women. You'll definitely find something to inspire you.